0: Section number fifteen of Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Natalie Gray. Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume Two, by Thomas Stevens. Chapter Eight, Part One Across the Desert of Despair. For some hours we are traversing a singularly wild-looking country. It seems as though the odds and ends of all creation were tossed indiscriminately together. Rocky cliffs, sloping hills, riverbeds, dry save from last night's thunderstorm, bits of sandy desert, strips of alkaline flat or hard gravel, have been gathered up from various parts of the earth and tossed carelessly in a heap here. It is an odd corner in which the chips, the sweepings and trimmings gathered up after the terrestrial globe was finished were apparently brought and dumped there's even a little bit of pasture and at one point a little area of arable land here are found four half-naked representatives of this strange wild borderland living beneath one rude goat-hair tent watching over a few grazing goats and several acres of growing grain we arrive at this remarkable little community shortly after noon and halt a couple of hours to rest and feed the horses, and to kill and cook the unhappy kid slung across the mudbake's saddle. The poor little creature doesn't require very much killing. All the way from where it was given into his tender charge, its infantile bleedings have seemed to grate harshly on the mudbake's unsympathetic ear, and he has handled it anywise but tenderly. The four men found here are Persian Iliyauts, a numerous tribe that seem to form a sort of connecting link between the genuine nomads and the tillers of the soil. They are frequently found combining the occupations of both, and might aptly be classed as semi-nomads. Pitching their tents beside some outlying, isolated piece of cultivable ground in the spring, they sow it with wheat or barley, and three months later they reap a supply of grain to carry away with them when they remove their flocks to winter pasturage an iron kettle is borrowed to stew the kid in and when cooked a portion is stowed away to carry with us the iliaut quartet contribute bowls of mast and doke, and off this and the remainder of the stewed kid we all make a hearty meal more than once of late have i been impressed by the striking even startling resemblance of some person among the people of southern coruscant to the familiar face of some acquaintance at home and strange as it is but true that one of these four Iliauts blossoms forth upon my astonished vision as the veritable double of one of america's most prominent knights of the pen and wheel the gentleman himself an enthusiastic tourist and to use his own expression fond of walking large has taken considerable interest in my tour of the world can it be i think upon first confronting this extraordinary reproduction can it be that karl kron's enthusiasm has caused him to start from the pacific coast of china on his wheel to try and beat my time in circumcycling the globe and after getting as far as this strange terrestrial chip pile he has been so unfortunately susceptible as to fall in love with some slender-limbed daughter of the desert? Has he been captivated by a pair of big ophthalmalia-proof black eyes, a coy sideways glance, or a graceful jaunty style of shouldering a half-tanned goatskin of doke? The very first question the nomad asks of the Khan, however, removes all suspicions of his being the author and publisher of XMM. He asks if I am a Ferengi, and whither I am going. Cron would have asked me for tabulated statistics of my tour through Persia. A couple of hours rest in the Iliyaut camp, and we bid adieu to this queer little oasis of human life within the barbarous boundary line of the Dashti Umid and proceed on our way. One of the Iliyauts accompanies us some little distance to guide us through a belt of badly broken country immediately surrounding their camp the country continues to be a regular jumble of odds and ends of physical geography all the afternoon and several times the horses of the sowers without preliminary warning break through the thin upper crust of some treacherous boggy spot and sink suddenly to their bellies during the afternoon the mirza is pitched headlong over his horse's head once and the khan and the mudbake twice in one tumble, the Khan's loosely sheathed sword slips from its scabbard, and he well nigh falls a victim to the accident. Allah King Saul. while traversing this treacherous belt of territory, I make the sowers lead the way and perform the office of pathfinder for myself and wheel. Whenever one of them gets stuck in boggy ground and his horse flounders wildly about to the imminent risk of unseating its rider, his two hopeful comrades bubble over with merriment at his expense his own sincere exclamations of Allah being unanswered by unsympathetic jeers and sarcastic remarks. A few minutes later, perchance one of the hilarious twain finds himself unexpectedly in the same predicament. It then becomes his turn to look scared and importune Allah for protection, and also his turn to be the target for the wild hilarity of the others. And so this lively and eventful afternoon passes away. And about five o'clock we round the base of a conglomerate hill that has been shutting out the prospect ahead cross a small spring freshet and emerge upon an extensive gravelly plain stretching away eastward to the horizon it is the central plain of the dashtina umid the heart of the desert of which the wild heterogeneous territory traversed since morning forms the setting so far as the utility of the bicycle and the horses is concerned The change is decidedly for the better even more so for the former than for the latter the gravelly plain presents very good wheeling surface and i forge ahead of my escort following a trail so faint that it is barely distinguishable from the general surface shortly after leaving the mountainous country the three sowers hip their horses into a smart canter to overtake the bicycle as they come clattering up the khan shouts loudly for me to stop and the mirza and mudbake supplement his vocal exertions by gesticulating to the same purpose. Dismounting and allowing them to approach in reply to my query of Chimikoi, the Khan's knavish countenance becomes overspread with a ridiculously thin and transparent assumption of seriousness and importance, and pointing to an imaginary boundary line at his horse's feet he says, Bra! Brother! Afghanistan! Khalykub afghanistan injakub hoob sovari very good i understand we are entering afghanistan all right ride right on sovari Nis, replies the khan and he tries hard to impress upon me that our crossing the afghan frontier is a momentous occasion and not to be lightly regarded several times during the day has my delectable escort endeavored to fathom the extent of my courage by impressing upon me the danger to be apprehended in afghanistan by a not less than half a dozen times have they indulged in the grim pantomime of cutting their own throats and telling me that this is the tragic fate that would await me in afghanistan without their valuable protection and now as we stand on the boundary line their bronzed and bared throats are again subjected to this highly expressive treatment and transfixing me with a penetrating stare as though eager to read in my face some responsive sign of fear or apprehension the khan repeats with emphasis brother afghanistan seeing me still inclined to make light of the matter he turns to his comrades for confirmation oh brother afghanistan assents the mirza and the mudbake chimes in with the same words well yes i understand afghanistan what of it i inquire amused at this theatrical display of their childish knavery for answer they start to loading up their guns and pistols which up to now they have neglected to do and they examine with a ludicrous show of importance the edges of their swords and the points of their daggers staring the while at me to see what kind of an impression all this is making their scrutiny of my countenance brings them small satisfaction methinks for so ludicrous seems the scene and so transparent the motives of this warlike movement that no room is there for aught but a genuine expression of amusement having loaded up their imposing array of firearms the khan gives the word to advance with as much show of solemnity as though leading a forlorn hope on some desperate undertaking and he impresses upon me the importance of keeping as close to them as possible, instead of riding ahead. All around us is the unto-habited plain, not a living thing or sign of human being anywhere, but when I point this out and, picking up a stone, ask the Khan if it is these that are dangerous, he replies, as before, Brother! Afghanistan! and significantly taps his weapons. As we advance, the level plain becomes covered with a growth of wild thyme and camelthorn; the former permeating the desert air with its agreeable perfume. The evening air is soft and balmy, as we halt in the dusk of the evening to camp alongside the trail. Each sower has a large leathern water-bottle swinging from his stirrup-strap, filled at the little freshet above-mentioned, and for food we have bread and the remains of the cold kid, the horses are fastened to stout shrubs, and a fire is kindled with dried camelthorn collected by the mudbake. Not a sound breaks the stillness of the evening as we squat around the fire and eat our frugal supper. All about us is the oppressive silence and solitude of the desert. Away off in the dim distance to the northeast can be seen a single speck of light, the campfire of some wandering Afghan tribe what is the fire yonder i ask of the khan the khan looks at it says something to his comrades and then looks at me and draws his finger yet again across his throat the mirza and the Mudbake follow suit the ridiculous frequency of this tragic demonstration causes me to laugh outright in spite of an effort to control my risibilities the khan replies to this by explaining afghani and then goes on to explain that the Noort's are very bad Afghans who would like nothing better than to murder a Ferengi. From the beginning of our acquaintance I have allowed my escort to think my understanding of the conversation going on among themselves is extremely limited. By this means have they been thrown somewhat off their guard, and frequently committed themselves within my hearing. It is their laudable purpose I have discovered to steal money from me if an opportunity presents, without the chance of being detected. Besides being inquisitive about the probable amount in my possession, there has evolved from their collective brain during the day a deep-laid scheme to find out something about the amount of baksheesh they may expect me to bestow upon them at the end of our journey. This deep-laid scheme is for the Khan to pretend that he is sending the Mirza and the Mudbake back to Birjand from this point and for these two hopeful accomplices to present themselves before me as about ready to depart and so demand bakshish this little farce is duly played shortly after our arrival it is a genuine piece of light comedy acted on the strangely realistic stage of the lonely desert to which the full round moon just rising above the eastern horizon these advances are met on my part by broad intimations that if they continue to act as ridiculously during the remainder of the journey as they have to-day they will surely get bastinadoed instead of bachschicht when we reach Galakua. the actors retire from the stage with visible discomfiture and squat themselves around the fire long after i have stretched my somewhat weary frame upon a narrow strip of saddle-blanket for the night my three protectors squat around the smouldering embers of the camelthorn fire discussing the all-absorbing topic of my money little do they suspect that concealed in a leathern money belt beneath my clothes are one hundred russian gold imperials the money obtained in tehran for the journey through turkestan and siberia to the pacific though sleeping with the traditional one eye open and my smith and wesson where it can be readily used there is a little apprehension of being robbed, owing to their obligation to take back the receipt for my safe delivery to Hashmet Imolk. It is the weather changeful period of the full moon, and about midnight a clap of thunder rolls over the desert, and a smart shower descends from a small dark cloud that sails slowly across the sky, obscuring for a brief period the moist-looking countenance of the moon, and then disappears a couple of hours later a rush of wind is heard careering across the desert toward us accompanied by a wildly scudding cloud the cloud peppers us with hailstones in the most lively manner and the wind strikes us almost with the force of a tornado knocking over the bicycle which i have leaned against a clump of shrubs at my head and favoring us with a blinding fusillade of sand and gravel it rains and hails enough to make us wet and uncomfortable, and the mud gets up and kindles another fire. In a short time the squally midnight weather has given place to a dead calm. The clouds have disappeared. The moon shines all the brighter from having had its face washed. The stars twinkle themselves out, one by one, as the grey dawn gradually makes itself manifest. It is a most lovely morning the bruising hailstones and the moistening rain have proved themselves stimulants in the laboratory of the wild thyme shrubs setting free and disseminating a new supply of aroma and while until now the voice of animate nature has been conspicuous by its absence the morning vespers of songbirds seem almost to be issuing like flowers from the ground there is an indescribable charm about this morning's experience on the desert dawn appears The moon hangs low suspended in the heavens, the birds carol merrily, and every inspiration one takes is a tonic to stimulate the system. Half an hour later the sun has risen, the songbirds have one and all lapsed into silence, the desert is itself again, stern, silent, uncompromising, and apparently destitute of life total depravity it appears has not yet claimed my worthy escort for its own entirely for while saddling up their horses during this brief display of nature's kindlier mood they call my attention to the singing of the birds and the grateful perfumery in the air the germ of goodness still lingers within their semi-civilized conception of things about them they are the children of nature and are profoundly impressed by their mothers varying moods their prostrations toward mecca and their matitudinal prayers to Allah seem to gain something of sincerity from the accompanying worship of the birds and the sympathetic essence of the awakening day. Eastward from our camping ground the trail is oftentimes indistinguishable, but a few loose stones have been tossed together at intervals of several hundred yards to guide wayfarers across the desert. A surface of mingled sand and gravel characterizes the way. Sometimes it is unrideably heavy, and sometimes the wheeling is excellent for a mile or two at a stretch, enabling me to leave the ambling yahoos of the sowers far behind. Beautiful mirages sometimes appear in the distance, lakes of water, waving groves of palms, and lovely castles, and often, when far enough ahead, I can look back and see the grotesque figures of the Khan, the Mirza, and the Mudbake apparently riding through the air perhaps twenty miles are covered when we arrive at a pile of dead brush that has been erected for a landmark and find a dilapidated well containing water the water is forty feet below the surface and contains a miscellaneous assortment of dead lizards the carcasses of various small mammalia and sundry other unfortunate representatives of animated nature that have fallen in beyond this well the country assumes the character of a broad sink or mud basin the shiny surface of its mud glistening in the sun like a sheet of muddy water, sloughs innumerable meander through it, fringed with rank rushes and shrubs. A far heavier downpour than we were favored with on the plain has drenched a region of stony hills adjacent, and the drainage therefrom has, for the time being, filled and overflowed the winding sloughs. A dozen or more of these are successfully forded, though not without some difficulty, but we finally arrive at the parent slough of which the others are but tributaries. This proves too deep for the sower's horses to ford, and after surveying the yellow flood some minutes and searching up and down, the khan declares ruefully that we shall have to return to Birjand. As I remonstrate with him upon his lack of enterprise in turning from so trifling a difficulty, the khan finally orders the mudbake to strip off his purple and fine linen and try the depth the mudbake proceeds to obey his superior, with many apprehensive glances at the muddy freshet, and wades gingerly in, muttering prayers to Allah the while. Deeper and deeper the yellow waters creep up his shivering form, and when nearly up to his neck a sudden deepening causes him to bob unexpectedly down almost over his head. Hurriedly retreating, spluttering and whining, he scrambles hastily ashore, where his two companions, lolling lazily on their horses, watching his attempt are convulsed with merriment over his little misadventure and his fright the shivering mudbake clad chiefly in goose pimples now eagerly supplements the khan's proposition for us all to return to and the mirza with equal eagerness murmurs his approval of the same course of action making light of their craven determination i prepare to cross the freshet without their assistance and announce my intention of proceeding alone the stream, though deep, is not over thirty yards wide, and a very few minutes suffices for me to swim across with my clothes, my packages, and the saddle of the bicycle. The small strong rope I have carried from Constantinople is then attached to the bicycle, and swimming across with the end, the wheel is pulled safely through the water. Neither of the sowers can swim, and they regard the prospect of being left behind with no little consternation their guileful souls seem to turn naturally to Allah in their perplexity, and they all prostrate themselves toward Mecca and pray with the apparent earnestness of deep sincerity. Having duly strengthened and fortified themselves with these devotional exercises, they bravely prepare to resign themselves to Kismet and follow my instructions about crossing the stream. The Khan's iron-gray being the best horse of the three, and the Khan himself of a more sanguine and hopeful disposition. I make him tie all his clothes and damageable things into a bundle, and fasten them on his saddle. The rope is then tied to the bridle, and the horse pulled across, his gallant rider clinging to his tail, according to my orders, and praying aloud to Allah on his own account. The grey swims the unfordable middle portion nobly, and the khan comes through with no worse damage than a mouthful or two of muddy water. As the dripping charger scrambles up the bank, the khan allows himself to be hauled up high and dry by its tail he then looks back at his comrades and favors them with a brief but highly exaggerated account of his sensations the mirza and the mudbake deliver themselves of particularly deep-chested acclamations of allah allah at the prospect of undergoing similar sensations to those described by the khan whereupon that unsympathetic individual vents his hilarity in a gleeful, heartless peal of laughter, and tells them with a diabolical chuckle of delight that they will most likely fare ten times worse than himself on account of the inferiority of their horses compared with the grey. Much threatening, bantering, and persuasion is necessary to induce them to follow the leadership of the Khan, but, trusting to Kismet, they finally venture— and both come through without noteworthy misadventure. The Khan's wild hilarity and ribaldish jeers at the expense of his two subordinates, as he stands on the solid foundation of a feat haply already accomplished, and surveys their trepidation, and hears their prayers as they are pulled like human dinghies through the water, is in such ludicrous contrast to his own prayerful utterances under the same circumstances a minute before, that my own risibilities are not to be wholly controlled. This little episode makes a profound impression upon the minds of my escort. They now regard me as a very dare-devil and determined individual, a person entirely without fear, and their deference during the remainder of the afternoon is in marked contrast to their previous attempts to work upon my presumed apprehensions of the dangers of Afghanistan. End of section 15, part 1. Recording by Natalie Gray www.voicebynatalie.com